We've all been hauled over the coals when it comes to paid traffic if we've tried it. It's a very, very common story that I hear is like, oh, you know, do you know a good agency? Because I signed up with someone, we spent all my budget, it didn't convert. They said it's the offer or the copy or whatever, or they just couldn't make it work. And then uh, now I need someone else. But after they do this two or three times, generally they just stop. And paid traffic doesn't become part of the scenario. Are there businesses where the paid traffic will not work? This is James Shramko. James Shramko here. Welcome back to my podcast. This is episode 1039. Today we're talking about paid advertising, in particular, lead quality. And I've brought along my traffic agency wizard, Charlie Vala from valamedia.com. Welcome, Charlie. Thanks for having me, James. And what a kind introduction. I appreciate that. Well, you know, we've had various topics over the years uh, from audio, video, paid traffic, even the team. You, you know, rarely do, do men have so many talents, but you seem to be able to package it all in there. I do notice, though, just before we get too far into it, you're in a different room than we usually record in. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so um, I don't know how well people will be able to make out the background on video, but even the audio listenership won't be able to see it. But I've actually made a big change in my life. I was uh, living in a four-bedroom home in the Burbs, uh, doing the whole family thing. And I don't want to say I was getting a bit flat, but kind of. I noticed I was going a bit stale. I'd very much gotten into, you know, living the dad life and doing all those things. And it was feeling quite abrasive. I didn't feel like I was in the right environment to succeed in the things that are important to my life. All right. So I made a big change. I'm actually living in an apartment in Melbourne now, um, which has been sensational. I'd always wanted a view, a really, really nice view to like go to bed to and wake up to. And I find the city just so inspiring in all honesty. Like every major building in the city was like, well, first off, someone built it, which is incredible, the engineering. But two is there's often businesses that occupy it. And I'm just like, wow, you know, how did they get to there? And it is put zest into my life like I cannot believe. So I'm living my, in an environment that's very aligned to the things I want to achieve. And it's just been fantastic. I'm, I'm loving it, as you can probably pick up from here. Yeah, I know, I know I've seen you posting pictures uh, from your morning walks across the bridge and stuff. And the thing that fascinates me is just how different as humans we can be. For me, I look at a sunset over palm trees and think, wow, there's some national park that humans haven't fucked with yet. And it's like the exact opposite of a man has gone and stuck a building here in front of this beautiful bush. And I like to walk down to the beach and have the sand beneath my toes and go for a surf. But that's the thing. It doesn't matter what you like and it doesn't matter what I like. What matters is when you know what you like to pursue it. But I think there's a great metaphor here and that is it explains why you're so good at some things that business owners naturally are not that good at or are not really aware of or even that interested in. And when it comes to paid traffic in particular, it requires a special skill set. It's math, it's psychology, it's um, zest is a good word, actually. You need to be interested in it, otherwise you're just going to get suboptimal results. And one thing that's come up lately is you've been doing paid traffic reviews for clients or prospective clients. And you, you're rolling up the sleeves, you're, you're digging into what people have got. Now, when you think about the average visionary, they're probably good at something, whether they're a coach or a brokerage or something, a service provider. They're probably really good at that. They reluctantly probably have to build a team and maybe get an office and do some of the things that they're second tier good things at. 
But by the time you get to the mechanics of the business, like that running the paid traffic, dealing with platforms, working out deal flow and stuff, that's probably like a third tier thing. And that's like your first tier high spec qualification. So you must see some shocking things when you do these reviews. I do. Sometimes uh, when I look in that, inside an account and I'm doing a review, the first thing that comes up is uh, empathy because I'm looking at this account and I can see how much money someone is wasting and that it's actually causing them stress. Like when someone's layering up thousands of dollars a month on the costs of agencies and ads and it's not working for them, it can be very frustrating. And what's worse in a lot of cases is it can be avoidable. Maybe they've hired the wrong provider. Maybe they never took the time to properly check what this person is doing. Uh, maybe they're entangled in, and this is one that's very common as well, is like maybe exploiting tactics for a period of time. And when those tactics become crowded or the tactic loophole gets closed, they've got an account that isn't founded on strategy. So, you know, at times there's these little things that pop up that are exploitable. And to be fair, I will at the time exploit these things too, because they can be very advantageous. But at the end of the day, if you haven't got more than that and a strong strategic account, you can end up in a very volatile situation. And again, I I have a huge amount of empathy because how I actually got started in ads is like I got screwed over Mm. and it was the whole, never again, I'm going to learn this and um, got very addicted to it. Love it. Still love it. I I must admit one of the best feelings in the world for me is um, the first conversion on a new account is that when we crack the code and the thing starts to work, it's just, it lights me up because there's so many things that go into that. Very similar to like crushing a golf ball off a tee or catching a, that wave at the new break. You know, it's, it's got something in it for me. And it's like, it's a special type of person that uh, likes it. I'll leave it there. That is not for everyone. Yeah. I mean, look, surfing is a good example I can relate to. When I got my stand-up barrel, which is when the wave was covering me and I'm in it and still upright and going along at 30 kilometers an hour uh, or 36 kilometers an hour, it's an exhilarating feeling that you realize is a very rare experience as a human. And for some people, they're not even like, they're not water people. They're landlocked. They're, they won't relate to even the idea of being in the ocean. So empathy is a good one. We've all been hauled over the coals when it comes to paid traffic. If we've tried it, it's a very, very common story that I hear is like, Oh, you know, do you know a good agency? Because I signed up with someone, we spent all my budget. It didn't convert they said it's the offer or the copy or whatever, or they just couldn't make it work. And then uh, now I need someone else. But after they do this two or three times, generally they just stop. And paid traffic doesn't become part of the scenario. Are there businesses where the paid traffic will not work? That's a great question. I think there's certain businesses that don't need to do paid traffic. And if they've built out an extensive brand and they're like really strong in brand, maybe they don't need a new addition. There might be limitations in the business. It would be very rare that a business couldn't benefit from paid traffic. Maybe ones that are more grown on like relationships might be one. Or one of the ones I kind of look like if you're very deep in enterprise working with like listed companies, maybe ads aren't for you. So the way I look at it whenever I'm reviewing if someone's right or not right for paid traffic is really assessing is the audience they're trying to capture available in a cost-effective way. It's not always the case. Some people really shouldn't, to your point. It, could most businesses benefit in some way if they're being strategic? Absolutely. But is it for everyone and right for their business? Probably not. So I've, one example that comes to mind is I was helping a lady who's wanted to put together a membership and she wanted to do low ticket. 
and then she realised that the business model probably won't work because she won't have enough margin to spend on ads to get the customers. Like it would cancel itself out. So then it'd be like, what's the point? Can I make a comment on that though? Please. This is where strategy comes into it. So if she was trying to use paid ads, I believe you said she, by the way, it might be a he, I don't know. No, she, definitely she. So if she was trying to use paid ads to acquire customers, that may be very cost ineffective because let's say the membership is $100. Let's say it costs $300 to acquire a customer. May not be effective in her model there and be very, uh, or she has to pay sales commissions or whatever it is. But if this person is acquiring customers, let's say through content, so they've got a podcast and that's how they're successfully acquiring customers, using paid ads to enhance the podcast just for that, because the cost of those ads is much cheaper than doing like lead gen orientated ads, incredibly effective. But that's something that person could potentially do with a small provider because they're not a particularly expensive type of campaign to put together versus like webinar funnels or VSLs, which are much more intense or lead gen in that way. So strategically, this is one of those examples where it's like, could paid ads assist with that person? Very much so, I suspect. Can they use them like a high ticket coach would use them or a high ticket offer? Definitely not. And if they try to apply that high ticket strategy to a low ticket business, that's pain and suffering. That's one of Charlie's empathy clients. That's when I look in there and go, oh, no. So we're really talking about the difference between paid traffic for leads versus some kind of amplification or remarketing backend type leverage campaign. Completely. And so let's talk about the lead thing specifically. You mentioned to me earlier that some of the leads that are coming through for the business, they might think they're doing all the right things. However, the leads aren't converting into customers. And you've identified a couple of main causes of that that I think we should talk about because if this is happening to us, we could then recognize it and know that we need to do something to fix that. Yeah, so quite commonly, and I've even got a specific account we can go into an example if you would like because this is where the spawniation. I I always prefer real-world examples than hypothetical made-up crap. I mean, I feel like that's what potentially separates us from some of the others is that we're talking about things we've seen and actually do and experienced, and that's, I think, well appreciated by anyone who comes into contact with us. Okay, so someone come in for a review, I'm going to say they're an expert. I won't name them, but I'll say they sell education. Okay. Uh, particularly, they sell, a, I think it's an eight or 12-week program, and that program is uh, more than $2,000. So we'll set the scene. That is highly representative of my audience. Uh, most of my audience are information experts with some kind of course training or membership, and often a 12-week or $2,000 type program is a very good way to front-end a recurring subscription. And then the other type of people are service providers slash agencies with then a little smattering of e-commerce and SaaS, et cetera. But we're talking about probably the, the main type of person who would get the benefit from listening to this. Brilliant. I intentfully brought this one in because I think it'll be useful and this will apply in some of the other areas as well, but I'll, I'll keep it in tune. So got into the account and looked and just saw they're generating a ton of leads. Like I, I got in here and was looking at the results and I was like, seems like they should be killing it. Like, why am I doing a review here? Like this person must have like either wildly astronomical goals and like wants to scale intensely or there's something wrong. And when I spoke to them, like we're generating a lot of leads, we're not converting them. And their concern was their actual, in this case, their sales team or their conversion mechanism wasn't working. Can I just stop there for a sec? I hear that all the time. Almost every um, business blames the agency and almost every agency 
blames the business's sales team and conversion process. They seem like the major top level excuses, but it may not be what's actually going on. It's what I'm suspecting here. The most common war in in this space. I tell you right now, and it's um, the leads are shit. Well, your sales team don't follow up. That, that's I think they forget a point. If they're not getting the client results, they both get fired. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very critical thing. This could not be more on point because this is the argument that happens. And then the business owner's going to say, well, we, we follow the leads up, but they're no good. And the agency said, well, we've sent leads to other people and they seem to close them. And then I know some people who sell leads insist on handling or training the frontline people who deal with it and having visibility on that. And I think we've even covered this in a previous episode, but let's go on. Maybe that's not the case in this example. Well, it can be, and that's what the difficulty is. And it's like I myself have been in many situations where I know we're generating a good lead and the sales team is not equipped to be able to handle those leads. And you just, you can become incredibly frustrating. And that is a real situation that happens. Mm. And reversely is like, I've been called into situations where clearly lead quality is the issue. Yeah. Now, uh, I want you to imagine if you're employing like setters and sales team and you're getting smashed by hundreds of low quality leads every week. Burning resource. But how annoying to constantly be following up people that aren't answering, saying, I won't even say it on this podcast, but just being, you know, hung up on and sworn at. And like, why would you want to work there? Of course, you'd be frustrated. So that's an indicator of a low quality lead where they, they don't want to engage or they feel hostility towards someone following them up? Well, this is the sign I knew something was up with lead quality here because the number of leads they were dealing with versus the amount of sales they were making, I was like, some sus. Because when I look in the other accounts, that type of like contact rate or sales rate, I'm like, I don't understand how your sales team could actually make enough sales to feed themselves. Is there a benchmark percentage you'd be looking for from a, a lead flow to conversion rate for a high ticket expert? There is, but it kind of niches as well. Like what happens in finance is kind of different than what happens with experts. And then if you're in like AI, which is a hot niche... <laughs> the contact rates are very different than if you, for example, sell something more defensive like accounting. Yeah. Right. So it's like hot niche versus cold niche versus like, well, I'll put it this way is like, you know, if you go to the NBA all-stars, like everyone wants to see the dunk competition. No one wants to see who can play the best defense. Right. So what would be a a general, let's say this 12 week course for $2,000 for someone in a medium level of interest, you know, like, like uh, wealth creation or, you know, it's it's not AI hot and it's not selling life insurance cold, right? It's somewhere in the middle. What what sort of ratios would we be looking for? It's really hard to give specifics on that, but I'll express what I do because I will find a business we've worked with that's similar and I'll check comparatively to... So you're benchmarking? Yes, I'm benchmarking as specifically as I can. And not that I would never give away anyone else's information or disclose how people are doing it because we deal with some private things, but it's enough for me to go something sus here. Like, is this suspect? Are they off or are they not off? And that's the way I judge it. Well, that's the same, same that happens to me. I, I can say, listen, from my experience in, in this sort of related market, this doesn't look right. Like I think you're missing out. Or or I can tell people, and I said this last week to someone, like from what I've seen and what you're doing, you're actually like top tier. You're in the top few percent of anyone I've ever seen do this for this thing. Or It's easy for me to spot an outlier because I have an aggregate of data, which again, it's a very hard thing for an individual business owner to do without the help of an external party, because they really only have a small sample size to be able to gauge. And like, here's a possibility. Maybe they're converting 50% of their sales, but they could actually be converting 
80% and they're missing 30%, that, that is almost double the business, not quite, but they could be really missing out just because they didn't know that there's a benchmark out there that is achievable. This is where I will commend the business owner that uh, came in for the review. They were actually getting a sales audit review as well from someone that was in the space that's quite talented because they were becoming confused. Like they don't have benchmarks. They don't have aggregate data. Like they're looking at what they are here. And the thing was, and this is obviously why they've come in, is gone, this is not sustainable. If I don't work out where to put my attention and what's actually fixable, like how much longer, how much more runway do we have? It's going to be next time cutting costs and firing people. Like this isn't the path I want to go. So we've got to work this out. Now, I did look a little bit at what was going on in sales and I elected in this situation here that it's like it was actually the agency that was doing the work was generating a very low quality lead, very low quality. They were smashing them with a huge amount of volume of just garbage. And so what are the indicators that tell you that? It's that the prospect doesn't want to be hearing from them. They're hanging up. Yeah. They're being hostile. Any other indicators? It's not economically viable. So if you're generating so many leads that you have such a low pickup rate that you can't make the mechanics of the business work, that would be a sign there's something up here. So the closing rate's just too low. So clearly, given the sales team, it meets a certain standard. Do you have a look at that and say, well, tell me how you're processing your leads or what's happening on this side just to verify that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's essential if you're in the type of work I do that you ask those types of questions because to confirm lead quality is the issue, you really need to make sure that the sales team is competent. And I'm not looking to say they're all rock stars, you know, the best in the business, but it's like very simple things you can check. It's like, well, how many times did you follow up with a lead? How did you follow up with the lead? How long does it take someone from becoming a lead before they can have a call with someone? Because if it's like weeks, you go, oh, maybe if you just made that a day, that's where the actual issue is. Or you could test that against some other factors here. I just laughed a little bit because I had, um, you know how, when you have an established business, you start getting a lot of cold outreach. Continually. <laughs> well, someone was cold outreaching me, Some one of these performance-based deals, you know, we'll, we'll help you grow and we'll only take a cut when we help you, et cetera, et cetera. And then they followed up later and they did a video and the video says, look, one thing that's not working for you is your follow-up time, you know, from when we reached out to when you followed up is too long. I'm like, are you talking about your cold pitch that wasn't very appealing or well-targeted? Because if you're judging on that, uh, then I wouldn't want to be assessed on that. Like, it was quite funny. If someone's a genuine prospect, they're going to get responded to immediately. But I think they get filtered off. But I think when I was selling, we talked about decay rate and that it was something like 50% per day. But people need to be contacted within minutes, ideally, right? The best organizations we work with on a sales front, as soon as a lead comes in, they will have someone contacted within a couple of hours. That's the way. Yeah. And they have been able to optimize their conversion rates because of it. So, and again, some of the exposure I've seen is showing me that that type of thing is possible. Not always in every organization, right? But I would say in general, if you're not contacting your leads within 24 hours, that is probably an opportunity for you. I contacted an organization earlier this year and they never contacted me back. And I, placed my business somewhere else and then I contacted them more recently about something they followed back immediately and then they sent a text message to follow up and then they followed up their email and it was like a world of difference something has happened within that organization but my point here is that what happens to the lead is such a differentiator so back to the example you verified that there is indeed a good follow-up process so therefore we're back to the focus on the low quality leads 
they're not responsive, they don't want to be contacted, and there's too much volume for not enough closing ratio. Completely. And so how do you then diagnose uh, beyond that? Yeah, so now I started digging into the ads more specifically. And uh, one of the things in this account that I noted really quickly is the types of leads they were generating while they had an intent that they had a problem. So let's say they're all putting their hand up and saying, yeah, I've got a problem generating leads. That was uh, you know, the idea here. There was nothing in their ads or funnel that was having this organization specifically solve them. Right? There was nothing to having it solved by this particular solution. I want to really unpack that a little bit to make sure I'm being crystal clear on here. This uh, organization was putting something out into the market, which in, in the example here was like, this is how you generate more leads. But there was nothing in it that was specific to this company being the solution to solve that. So therefore, every lead they generate wasn't really interested in working with them at all. Now, I'll use a restaurant analogy. It's like putting something out there. Are you hungry versus do you want to eat at our restaurant? And that type of setup or intent, very, very different. They were generating a lot of people that were hungry, but they weren't hungry for what this business had to offer. So it's too broad. Way too broad. So that's kind of like if you step that back, it's like, are you a man or a woman? Completely. Or are you a human? So it's like just too far from the end. Actually, I can relate to that because when we were doing some paid traffic for my book, which was sort of centered around work less, make more, it was still too far away from my recurring subscription membership solution because, yes, they don't want to work as much and, yes, they want to make more, but we're still not sure if they're an online business and we're still not sure if they are ready to be spending some money each month to improve their actual business. So it was, was just too far away. That was a very quick lesson we learned. And it just goes to show that you need to put some thought and strategy behind stuff. You can't just throw stuff out there. You will burn budget. And it's a bit optimistic, uh, a bit of hopium, I suppose, to see if it's going to work. But you could reduce a lot of the stress by getting as close to the target as possible. So that's one thing. Were there other things before we solve that? Yeah, there's definitely other things, but I just want to use another example to make sure I'm driving this one home. Okay. If let's say you're in the wealth niche and you were trying to generate leads of like, do you want to be wealthier? Yeah. Like everyone would put their hand up for it, but it's like, if you went deeper than that is like, would you like to increase your wealth through buying property in Victoria and you're a business owner? That lead is going to be way more intentful and specific around that type of business's offer than the just, hey, do you want to make more money or grow your wealth in that example? So we're basically saying, are you a target board versus are you a bullseye? Correct. Okay. Nailed it, James. I like that analogy. That's even better. I might use that from now on. Feel free to run with that, Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here all day. Uh, That's good. All right. Uh, The second one here I'll go into, which I think is important, is I noticed all the ads were just image ads. Right. And for me, in this environment, I just look at the power of video and just – it makes so much sense when you lay it out like this. If someone's only ever seen an image from you versus they've watched a one minute video, the amount of information you can get across in one minute versus just an image, it's a big gap, a very big gap. And when there's a lead quality issue, one of the things I really like to do is shift away from images and into video and make sure people are actually consuming some of this stuff because we know that that is much more likely to have a higher quality lead with bigger intent right call to actions that can come into it, where that's going to dramatically increase lead quality a lot of the time as well. You must get a lot more data because you'd go from viewed image versus didn't view image to watched this much of the video, you know, 
Uh, so it's like you get a much broader amount of information. Now, this is a different client, but I just want to come in on this one. We have a, another organization that was trying to lift lead quality. And one of the things we did is that when someone, after someone clicks on an ad, there's a, a landing page with a video. There's a three minute video people have to watch and the button doesn't appear until two minutes into the video. So for a, a lead to actually be generated this video, they have to have watched two minutes of a, a video on a page to even go into the sales system. Dramatically increased lead quality. Yes, it did reduce volume. I will say that was one of the parts. But if you've got too much volume and low quality, it's just, that's the reason to do it. It's intentional. Well, if you wanted to say, well, I only want my sales team dealing with highly qualified leads, then you start that process of disqualification, right? Have you heard that thing about sales as a process of disqualification? Yes, I have. And I love that uh, frame. One of the simple ways you can do that, whether it's a sales page or, and perhaps in the video would be uh, who this is not for. And I've seen ads like that when I'm looking on YouTube. Of course, it's like, if you're interested in blah, 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 then watch on. And then they do the disqualifiers. If you're already making enough, if you're already happy with what you've got, then this isn't for you. You know, you don't need to watch the rest of the ad. And I suspect they're just trimming off the scraps before they even get too far down the track because they may not even have to pay for it at that point. The important thing here, and it's like if your marketing agency isn't aligned to this type of thing when it comes to paid traffic and not thinking in terms of like what will best support the sales team and how they're disqualifying, you can be doing a lot of this work in your marketing. You could disqualify a lot of people before they even get to the sales team in this type of process. I'm skeptical that most ad agencies would be sophisticated enough to be having this conversation. I can't comment on what other agencies are doing. I live, I live in my well, own show on that, although I see a lot of their work. I'm not an agency, so I can comment all, all I like. But the point that I'm saying is I feel like I, like because I review a lot of people's work as well as, as in the mentoring process, I see what people have brought to the table. And I've seen endless campaigns where there was zero results from the agency. And that when you look at it, it's, it's like, gosh, from my perspective, I can't see how that might have ever worked when you have a look at the mechanics of it. And so they're missing information. And I guess we're in an era, and, and back to sort of all these cold approaches that I get, you know, I saw because I had a two this morning, this guy on, on Instagram, he's like, I love your channel. I love what you're doing. And I really love the message you're putting out there in the world, which is about as generic as water, right? There's nothing specific or tailored about that message. And then I'm like, thanks. Just, you know, just respond. And then today, another flattery comment, uh, like an hour later, it's just amazing what you're doing and you're like, it's just like the flattery water fountain. It's just pumping me up and I know there's a pitch coming next, so I'll just ignore it from now on because it's starting to, like, it's where is this going, mate? Uh, And I won't engage with it anymore. But the point is this person might have started business last week. They might have bought an information product saying, or watched it, they could literally have watched a a video from a YouTuber that says, send a couple of complimentary messages and then send an offer to do a review. And like they could have been in business for a week. You've been in business for a lot longer than that, Charlie, and I've been in business for a lot longer than that. So we have so much depth of experience and knowledge that I'm, I'm just saying that this might be a good filter to determine if your agency is competent or not, whether they even know the difference between images versus videos or whether the disqualification enters into the discussion. I think what we're talking about here is buyer intent. That sounds like it's a very critical piece of lead flow. It's massive, absolutely massive. And we're talking about video versus image. Then we're talking about the modality of the campaign, the marketing modality. And 
of course, being so uh, video interested, what, what did we call you before? An affectionado? That's right. You preferred that over nerd or whatever, but you're so interested and passionate about video. And by the way, just as well I remember it, Get Malak from SEO Leverage has got the same microphone and sound deck because of you telling me to get it because he likes the way it sounds. So thank you on his behalf and our behalf. And Do you know, he sent, he sent me a voice message through the system. like, damn, that thing sounds good. <laughs> he sent me a voice message because, it, look, the last few episodes we've recorded, it was a bit boomy and echoey and we just couldn't get it right. And I said, why don't you just get what I've got? Because it works. And that's what Charlie told me to get. And Charlie knows about this stuff. And he goes, I will do it. And like next day, it's on his desk. He's sending me recordings. But it's because of you. Anyway, back, I'm just establishing the fact that you're an absolute video expert. So you've got this, I guess we'd call it a bias, but it's a positive bias that just happens to be exactly what every major platform on the planet is trying to do right now from TikTok to Instagram to YouTube. They all want the video content. That is, that's the future. And so combining video plus ads, you've got the intent, you've got the modality. I guess there's still more pieces of the puzzle if you want to lay them out for us. Yeah, I've got one more, but I just want to make a comment on that. Yes, I'm very biased to video. Uh, it's actually our edge at Fella Media. Like one of the things that enables us to get the results we do is because we have that edge. There's a lot of agencies out there that can't utilize video like I do. Like we employ 14 video editors for this stuff. Like that's how in we are and the results it produces. Now, I will say I'm open-mindedly biased. Like I stay biased because it works, but if it stops, I'll certainly shift my views into other things. If images start becoming more effective or maybe VR or whatever comes next, I'll be certain to lean into those areas as well as it shines up. But right now, for anyone listening to this, like video is the way. It is the way, overwhelmingly for the points you've referenced there. Now, um, I'll go into this next point now because it relates. One of the things that is a little uh, sprinkle I like to put on an account when quality is the thing we're trying to improve here, and this was the fix in the one we're referencing in this review, is that let's say a business generates a lead uh, so they've opted in for something and they're going to uh, have a, t- a call with the sales team at some point, or they're going to see a VSL or whatever it is. One of the things I'd love to do is create remarketing campaigns for people that have become leads. So if you think there's, uh, let's say there's a weak sales process before, you know, a lead's generated before a sale is made, in that week, I want to flood them on the platforms with proof and trust. I want them to feel like the organization that they're going to have this sales call has the solution to their problem and has done it for people just like them. And if you can create that, I think the lead quality will go up substantially. So for example, someone will opt in on a campaign and then I love little video testimonials coming through that show that, yes, we've worked with this person and gotten them success. Because if you can do that in the nurturing side of things, dramatic difference to lead quality there, dramatic so we're talking about nurturing and specifically the tactic of pre-selling. Absolutely. So we're fattening the cow, so to speak. Yeah. And I think for organizations that are not doing this at all, and this will be more specific to those that are maybe using a sales team or doing sales themselves, they'll find their show up rates will improve through doing that because you're staying very relevant. It's hard to fall away when they're continually reminded when they're opening up any of the social platforms. And this could be done whether it's on Meta or Google or YouTube or TikTok or any of them, they all have this feature that you can utilize. And it's not an old idea. Um, sorry. <laughs> it's not a new idea. I remember 
I'll just take you back to uh, it was 1997, and uh, I was I was in my prime sales mode, right? I was pretty much the top of the level at Mercedes Benz, and back then there were print magazines like Wheels and Motor magazine. And when they would do a review of an upcoming model for the Mercedes-Benz range, I would photocopy it and then I would write a post-it note on it and then I would send it out to my customers and prospects. I'd be like, I remember there was this guy who used to sell umbrellas, lovely guy, and I'd put, hey, Larry, check out this new CLK. It's coming next year. Uh, Let me know if you'd like to pre-order. And I'd stick it on the review article and then I would post it to them, you know, with a stamp and, and a hand-addressed envelope and mail it out. And so they're in the system, they've expressed interest, they've purchased a car and then uh, they get this. And so you're just seasoning them up to get an interest, to, get, to build desire. All they have to do is say yes or then I'll obviously follow up. Hey, Larry, did you get that uh, article I sent you? Yes. Would you like to go ahead? Yeah, I think I will. Okay, great. I'll organize it for you. And or I see them in service there. I see their car there. Hey, I notice you're in today. Would you like me to go ahead and get that order in the system? I can give it to the service advisor when you come. And you'd be like, yeah, go. That's fine. And so this pre-marketing, by the time people were ready to order, they already knew what's what. They were interested in it. They had the time to do it. But we can do this all with digital media. I think that's the thing. I imagine a lot of people who are generating leads as soon as that prospect identifies themselves and goes into the system, I imagine they probably stop. And that might be the time to start. That's the differential here. Most organizations or accounts I review when they're doing remarketing, it's mostly for people that haven't become leads. It's people that have like been on a landing page that haven't become a lead. Very few. I see it rarely. I've maybe spotted it once is the idea of like, well, what if you looked after the people that are already leads that haven't become a sale? And that's the most critical window what a concept of looking after your best customers. It's like, the, that's the no-brainer campaign, isn't it? Uh, I've got a, a client at the moment. He's in the fitness space and he's like, I just need to get my numbers this month. And I said, well, why don't you contact everyone you've ever dealt with in the past and have them come back? And I call that a win-back campaign. But it's so easy to run an ad to those people. You know who they are. Do the platform still allow you to upload a database of email addresses to target? Absolutely. Well, then that's the easiest thing ever because um, when I did this for the surf shop guy who was going out of business and we uploaded the list of everyone who'd ever bought a surfboard from him and said, hey, we're closing down this weekend. If there's a board that you ever wanted to buy, come and put it under your arm, have a coffee, tell us some stories. We'd love to see you. Sold out every board in stock in just a weekend. And he'd never, ever sent emails to people who'd purchased from him before and he'd never run advertising at all. That sounds like some low-hanging fruit. Doesn't it, James? Well, he came to me. At, at the, it was like an exhausting weekend. I was in full sales mode. I went down there with post-it notes on the each board, was, is, and I uh, manned the shop for two days. It was like my last renaissance of showroom selling. And he came back to me at the end of the day. He was exhausted. He goes, oh, I wish I'd spoken to you earlier about this. Like it was too late for him because the landlord jacked the rent and he'd, he'd never actually marketed to people who bought from him. And... I actually took Dean Jackson into his store, the master of the, you know, the inventor of an email opt-in. And Dean said to him, well, you know, if people buy from you and they express an interest to you, it's, it's like they're knocking on your front door. But if you don't open the front door, like you just wave at them through the window, that's almost rude. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't, you know, I don't want to be salesy or whatever. So anyway, sadly, his shop 
finished and he's out of business. But the lesson and, you know, the, the great lesson and uh, example of this one was just how much sales we could generate off our existing database. And it reminds me of when I did a product launch formula for the dealership in, the, in my very last phase of the role. We generated millions of dollars worth of sales in a single weekend. I think we had 2,000 visits to the showroom by just reaching out to people who are already on our database with direct response letters, with emails and local advertising. But that's such a big lesson. Nurturing a prospect between when they opt in to be contacted and when they buy sounds like an accelerated boost of conversions. It is. And I do say this is probably where the conflict of marketing and sales comes into it because if an agency is just being rewarded on number of leads, that type of campaign doesn't necessarily add to what they get to show in their reports. But if you're thinking about your client in a bigger way and getting them success, it may be a crucial campaign to do. So one worth checking. So it's if you're an agency selling leads and you wanted to make sure that the end user was saying, hey, these leads are good, then you would make sure they have the right intent, that they're the bullseye on the target board, not an outer ring or not even on the board. Uh, you know, like they didn't opt in for a free iPad competition, right? Oh, that, that'd be like the worst quality leads you can get, free iPad leads. <laughs> but people still do it. I still see people give away prizes that are not in any way related to the problem or the solution. Like that's not even anywhere near the target board. That they would use multiple modality that gives them the ability to qualify and disqualify, to really target and get people with more information in a, in a tighter package, taking advantage of what the platforms are really wanting to show in the first place. And then nurturing those leads to bolster their likelihood of buying before you get on the call with them or do your back and forth emails, whatever process that is. And I guess our little bonus thing is, hey, have you thought about doing a campaign for people who have already bought from you in the past? That's like a little bonus. So you've got leads there to get from your existing buckets that you've already collected. Don't throw them out. I know someone right now has gone to a company that has collected 700,000 leads and after they take the ones they want, they just throw them away, right? They do nothing with them. Seems very highly inefficient, but um, each their own. Well, they're about to have a world of change in a positive way. Charlie, good stuff. Hey, so I feel like we've talked about how to improve lead quality. If we were listening to this and we think, well, maybe we're not sure how to assess the lead quality or the intent or the, you know, the modality or the nurturing or none of that's happening, but we want it to happen or we, we want to see if we're a good fit, how do we reach out to you? Best place. Well, I'm easy to find on social if anyone wants to connect directly. But otherwise, like we do these reviews. So if you are running ads right now and would like someone to give you an opinion and go through some of these things with you, it's Valamedia slash review, which James, I know you've got the link, but I'll include it again with this episode. Valamedia.com forward slash review. Uh, this is episode 1039. I've been chatting with Charlie Vale. Like I just enjoy our chat so much because it's just critical. These are the small hinges that swing the big doors, like a lot of noise out there in the market. Let's get the signal. Let's get the things that matter and super actionable. I'm going to be thinking about my leads. Any campaign I do, I want to make sure that it's a bullseye on the, on the board. I want to continue to work on video, but I think even as a result of this, I might start boosting some of the videos that I know get me the best prospects and also nurturing those people who have expressed an interest to make sure that there's a a good uh, supporting campaign to make sure they get exposed to material that would increase their chance of coming aboard. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to our next chat. Me too, James. Me too. This is James Schramko. 